Hi everybody, Mike Wardrock from Encounter Church here, and thanks so much for tuning into our podcast. Our prayer is that through this podcast, you could have an encounter with Jesus that will change your life. And now get ready for an inspiring message from our teaching team. Well, welcome to Mission Month here at Encounter. We are really, really excited. We are in week two of our series, For the City, where we look at what it means to be good neighbours. That is a key part of being followers of Jesus, is working out how to be good neighbours, and that is how to live out what we are about, right? People who are Christians, it's been said, are meant to be the only members of a club that is not for them. We're meant to be about other people. And so we want to spend this month unpacking and explaining what that looks like. And we're very, very excited about that. How do we be a church that's for the city, for Prospect, for Adelaide, for the nation, even for the world, but for the place where we are planted? But there's a couple of questions we need to answer before we really dig into today's message and to just dig up the ground a bit before Jenny really unpacks that next week. And the first one is just what is mission? What do do we actually mean when we say the word mission? Because there's probably a whole bunch of different definitions out there. Well, mission is about purpose, right? Let me give you the simplest explanation. Not the best, the simplest. Let me clarify. Mission is about purpose. God has a mission and it is this. He wants to see all of creation restored, renewed, and redeemed in his image. That is, he is doing a work to create something new out of what we have done with creation, which is not that flash all the time. And he is redeeming, he is renewing, he is restoring. The primary way he has done that is through Jesus Christ. Right? That is the mission of God for us. So mission, and and what's more, he wants to get you to be part of bringing it about. So mission's not just divine, it's personal. It's personal, it's for you. So when we tell you that God has a plan for you, when we tell you that the next year is the best year, that's not motivational speaking, that's biblical truth. God has a plan for you. You were made on purpose for a purpose. And that purpose is to be about God's mission, restoring, renewing, redeeming. But what, what, what does that mean? Well, that's where we get to this really simple definition I I want you to have. And it's, it's so helpful. It's so simple. It is not comprehensive, but it is simple. Like me, not comprehensive, but simple. This is, these are the words that I want you to think of. Justice and evangelism. Justice and evangelism. If you can hold these two together, you have a sense of what mission is about for the church. Right? It, again, not comprehensive, but this will cover enough. Here's what I mean by that. Justice is showing the love of God by advocating and standing for those who cannot do it themselves. Evangelism is showing the love of God by communicating the message of God to those who do not yet know it. So when we're on mission, we share the message of Jesus. But when we're on mission, we serve the people about, we serve God's people in the name of Jesus. So one is we share about Jesus. The other is we serve in the name of Jesus. In both cases, we are helping people see they are made in the image of God on purpose, for a purpose, and we are continuing to build the kingdom of God, which is his big mission plan for the world. So the simple version is this. When we talk about mission as the church, we're talking about how do we do evangelism, how do we do justice, both and, not either or. Is that good? Is that all right? Okay. So that's my brief overview of what we're going to be talking about this month. Now, last week, Ellie Lloyd came from Open Doors, spoke about the persecuted church. Can I encourage you, 
listen to that online, listen to it on our podcast, but even better, get on their website and just learn a little bit about what it means to be part of the persecuted church in North Korea or Somalia or Egypt or India, one of the many, many difficult places where it is to be a Christian, where you can lose your life for standing for the gospel. But this week, we're not talking about losing our life so much as the conflict of doing mission to our family. Mission to our family. So I'm going to pray and uh, then we'll get into the word today, okay? All right. God, we just lift you up in this place. Uh, we, we thank you that you actually give us a purpose. We are not just here for the sake of it. We are not just here to do something. We, we, we are here with a particular purpose. We're here because we have been called by you to do something for you. And so, God, as we listen to this sense of mission this morning, and particularly about mission to our families, would you help us to catch what it means to be about your business? And we pray that in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. All right. Um, I, I had trouble as a kid breaking free of people's image of me when I got older. Has anyone else experienced this in their life? Um, probably everyone. The, when, I was, when I was a kid, I, I had this one friend in particular. It wasn't, it wasn't my friend, it was his dad. So we would, we, would, we would be going out, I'd go to my friend's place, and they'd go, let's go to the drive-in. And he would have this big truck with this big sheepskin like, back seat, which is very nice, but not great for like 10-year-old boys because I discovered something very quickly, and that is that I was a pretty sticky kid. Like, I was just like, you give me a lolly, and it's not, I guess it just wasn't going just in the mouth. Like, it was somehow going on my hands, and I was like Spider-Man before it was cool. And in fact, the kind of Spider-Man I was was never cool. It was just lolly stickiness. And so, and so my friend's dad, who was, I guess, channeling his grumpiness into, like, a sense of humor, would always go, he goes, you're such a sticky kid, Michael. I'm like... No, I'm just a bit of a messy eater, that's all. He's like, oh, no, no, you're very, very sticky. You're very sticky. Every time you come, if we go, I don't want to go to the drive-in with you because the sheepskin gets sticky because you've got sticky lolly hands on the back. Like, I don't know what to tell you. I'm 10 years old. I like lollies. What can I, what can I tell you? It's like, just put them in your mouth or don't eat anything. And, of course, I just ignored him and continued to sticky up the sheepskin covers. And... Um, and, and so at this, 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 obviously, you know, a couple of years in your life, you get older, you, you stop doing that. But the perspective, the perspective didn't. The perception didn't. So I would continue to hang out with my friend. I'd be, I don't know, 15, 16 at this point, or 18, 20, mid-20s. Like, oh, you, you're so sticky. I'm like, I'm 25 years old. I'm not. I'm, I'm really not. I'm, I'm, can I go to work, please? You know, and then eventually it transferred to, oh, you were such a sticky kid. And again and again and again. And at some point it ceases to be nostalgia, right? And it just becomes, will you just shut up? Will you stop telling me how bad I used to be and start looking at who I am now? And there's, there's this thing that happens with us where the closer we get to somebody, the less we can see them. So the closer you walk up to somebody, you, you can get to know them more and more and see them more and more, but you can get to a point where you are so close that you actually can't see them properly anymore. And sometimes when we think about mission to our families, that's what it's like. It is like zooming in on the screen so much that all we get is pixels. Or to go a bit more old school, it's like we can't see the forest for the trees. And when we talk about mission to our family, I think it is probably the hardest form of mission, 
When we talk about reaching our family with the gospel, it can be the hardest because sometimes all, all that happens is we'll come back. We've, we've, we're a teenager. We've gone to a youth camp. We've been filled with the Holy Spirit. We come back and they're like, oh, you're the same annoying kid who didn't do the dishes last week. Can you just do them already? Like, no, 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 something's changing me. It's different. No, 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 no. No, come on, you're not different. I remember when you were 14 and your mum had to drag you from the servo because you got caught stealing a chocolate bar. It's like, I'm not that person anymore. Would you let me be the person I'm becoming? And, And we try and hold these things together. The person who I was and the person who I've become in Christ. But with your family, sometimes, and maybe you're here with your family and you've experienced this, you can be so close, it's impossible to see the difference. It's like when you grow up and you, you have kids with you and someone goes away and they come back after a year and they're like, your kids have got so big. And you go, have they? Oh, they just, I don't know, they kind of look the same to me because you see them every few minutes. You don't see them growing. <laughs> but somebody who goes away and comes back can see the growth. You see, you see what happens there? That's what happens with mission in our family. It's hard to change to be like Jesus when everyone's telling you who you used to be. And nobody does that more than our own families. Now, we are, are every, every one of you, depending where you were born and raised, you were raised in what was likely either a family and community-based culture or an individual-based culture. So one of those two different communities. So uh, while there's a bit of a continuum in this, you've got family and individual, Uh, The main difference is that in a community-centred culture, you put the desires and needs of your family above everything else, while an individual-centred culture will see individuals put themselves and their own desires above those of everything else. You see that? One's about the needs of my family are paramount. The other one is about my personal desires are paramount. So here in Australia, we are predominantly an individual-centred culture. Uh, Generally speaking, we expect our family to support our decisions, not us to support our family's decisions. You see see the difference there? So if if you go and do something, your friends will not go, are you supporting your family in this? They will say, is your family supporting you in this? Like, are they behind you? That's, that's how it is in Australia. Now, that's not even a criticism. These are two sides of the same coin. So here, here's the difference. Um, for, if you've migrated over here and you're from Hong Kong or Malaysia or Singapore, you may have migrated over here as, as the child of a first-gen parent who has put on you quite a lot of pressure to be a doctor or a lawyer or, that's, frankly, that's probably it. Yeah, a doctor or a lawyer. And that's the sort of pressure you get put on you. And there is this, there's this sense that my parents have sacrificed to bring me to this country to provide for me, to create an opportunity. But if you then grow up in Australia and you have your own kids who become these third-gen kind of kids and they've grown up in Australian culture, chances are that as you raise them, you are not saying to them, I want you to be a doctor or a lawyer. Chances are you are saying, I want you to do whatever makes you happy. That's the difference. You can be enculturated from one into the other. It's a very common thing that happens with second-gen and third-generation migrants. We need to be aware of our own cultural context when we read things like today's teaching text. Because I read it, and on face value, this is, is what it seems to be doing. It seems to be doing two simple things. The first is it seems to be saying, Jesus is saying, if you do God's will, it's like we're family, all the family of God together, And the second thing it seems to be saying is that Jesus seems to be dismissing his own family. Who are you? These are my mother and brothers now, right? I'm not about about that old family life. I'm about the church life now. Not about that, now about this. I've moved on to something new. And it's this kind of question that can sometimes cause tension in our families. 
We read a passage like this and we wonder, is Jesus telling us to leave our family, follow him and ignore everything else? Because the truth of it is, church, we're not called to a community-centered culture or a family-centered culture. And we're not called to an individual-centered culture. Both of those taken to their extremes become idols for us. We are called to be a Jesus-centered culture, which means that we listen for the word of God and obey it. But when we listen for the word of God and obey it, it can sometimes seem as if we're going against our family. Now, when we're in an individual culture and we're pushing against our own preferences, that's very hard. But you go to a family-centered culture. You go to somewhere like Iran and become a follower of Jesus and ask them just how difficult it is to do that, to follow the will of God while still trying to love your family. It is a real tension, and it is this tension that is at the heart of our tension and mission to our families. So let's go, let's go into this passage with Matthew. When Jesus seems to be dismissing his own family, this is a particularly big deal. Ancient Israel was a community-based culture. Family was everything. Children took up their parents' trade. Arranged marriages was the norm. This was the case for hundreds and hundreds of years. And what's more, it seems to directly contradict one of the commandments in the Ten Commandments. Exodus 20, 12. Honour your father and your mother so that you may have a long life in the land that the Lord your God is giving you. Did you, did you know how many times your parents have quoted Scripture without you realising? Anytime your parent has said to you something along the lines of, I brought you into this world and I can take you out of it, they're basically quoting Exodus 20.12. <laughs> I'm sure your parents never said that. Paul describes it in Ephesians 6 as the first commandment that has a promise attached to it. Obey in order that your life may go well. Obey so that something good may happen. But as I said earlier, we've got to read deeper. So let's ask the question, what did Jesus' own family life look like? The first thing to know, Jesus had a family. Not to say he had a wife and kids, but he had a mother and he had a father. He was raised as the eldest child of his mother, Mary, and his father, Joseph, technically his stepfather, as he was conceived by the Holy Spirit. And he had lots of brothers and sisters. Sometimes this gets swept under the rug. We kind of forget about all of Jesus' brothers and sisters. We know he had at least six siblings, at least. So Mary and Joseph they, they had stuff to do after Jesus was born. In Matthew chapter 13, verse 30, 55, it mentions James, Joseph, Simon, and Judas, and sisters. See in verse 56 there, and his sisters, aren't they all with us? So we know there's at least two sisters, though we don't know their names. So there are at least six siblings of Jesus. Can you imagine growing up being a sibling of the Son of God? Hey, uh, Joseph, do your chores. Oh, why are you telling Jesus off? Jesus did his chores this morning before anyone got up. And then he's been praying over the family ever since. Flipping Jesus every time. Can, just imagine that. Imagine being 15 years old and your perfect, literally, not figuratively, your literally perfect brother is just standing there. Try and live up to that. No wonder there was tension between the family. Can you imagine how many handmade cards and like bath bombs from Mother's Day stalls that is as well? Just anyway, it's just a lot. <laughs> Jesus' life begins as a miracle, but it's it's Mary who's there for most of that. So Mary takes note of everything that's happening and stores it up, treasures it in her heart. Nobody has the same miraculous moments with Jesus that Mary does. Joseph has some, Mary has all of them. She she has these prophecies spoken over her while Jesus is in the womb that she's the only one to hear. But, but 
you can have as many miraculous moments and angelic visitations as you want, but at some point, when your kid's 12, your kid's 12, and they're just going to do 12-year-old boy things. So Jesus, as a 12-year-old boy, they go to the temple with his family to celebrate the Passover, and in a very home alone kind of moment, you know, they get on the way back to Nazareth, and they're like, Kevin, you know, and, 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 and rush back to find Jesus. And there's Jesus in the temple, and Jesus, man, if Jesus was my kid at this point, turns to them and goes, didn't you know I had to be about my father's business? He's 12. I'd be like, get to your room and be glad that's all you're getting. 12 years old, that's what Jesus was saying. But Mary is listening to this. She knows there's something about it. She treasures it in her heart. From this point on in the biblical story, we don't hear what happens to Jesus as a teenager and a young adult, and we get to his ministry. And one of the first things we see is he chooses his disciples. Now, imagine you're Jesus' brother. You're Jesus' sister. You've grown up with him. It's frustrating enough having this perfect brother. But now he is choosing his own followers like he's some sort of exalted rabbi. But he wasn't, as we've read. He was the carpenter's son. And he's going around choosing these disciples. Who does he think he is? So in Mark 3.21, we see that his family confronts him and they say, he's out of his mind. Jesus, you are out of your mind. They genuinely think he's going insane. And from there on out, it's not great. In the passage we read today, they try and convince him to see them. And the implication is they want him to come back to Nazareth. And eventually he does. Lord knows how many family pressures were going on in, in Jesus' trip to Nazareth. And he gets there and he starts to teach and people are astonished by his wisdom. And he starts to perform miracles and people are astonished by it. And as he teaches and performs miracles, the people start to go, isn't this just Joseph and Mary's kid? We know him. How's he doing this? Isn't this the sticky kid we used to go to the drive-in with? Isn't this the kid we used to look down on for being a kid? And he's all grown up. Who does he think he is. And when we jump just one verse forward, if you go two slides forward, I think it's there, Eli. Verse 57, and they were offended by him. The change in Jesus offended those nearest to him. They saw him grow up. They never had a gripe. There's never any question of sin in the Bible whatsoever. But when Jesus grew up and began to step out in authority, he was offensive to those around him. Imagine this, they're hearing and acknowledging his wisdom. They're seeing the miraculous powers and they are offended by it. Imagine that. You can be so close you don't see. And so Jesus has this tension and he says this, a prophet is not without honour except in his hometown and his household. And you and I know this to be true. Finally, in John chapter 7, verses 1 to 10, Jesus' brothers change their approach. They say, okay, it didn't work trying to get you to come home and calm down and start a family and pump out grandkids for your poor mother, God rest her soul. Now I want to challenge you. If you're really the Messiah, go public. Why wouldn't you? This is real, right, Jesus? You're the real deal. Go public. Go and tell everybody. And the key thing here is that Jesus would have been tempted so much to go, you know what? I flip a wheel. You watch me. Because <laughs> he could have, but it wasn't what he was called to do. And in a heavily family-oriented culture where all the pressure was to say, do what the family wants you to do, Jesus had to say, I know what I'm about. I have, didn't you know I had to be in my father's house? Didn't you know I had to be about my father's business? I have something you've got, you know nothing about. I have a mission. I have a purpose. I have a plan that God has called me to. And I have to be about it. And if that's offensive to you, I'm sorry, but I have to be about it. 
And that's what he did. His parents, his sibling, the people he grew up with, they were all so close that they lacked the perspective to see who Jesus really was. It's this emotion, it's this tension that makes it so difficult for us to do mission to our family. I've, I've sat and, and wept with older people as they pray desperately over their adult children to find Jesus. As, they, as, they, as they've grown up in the faith and, and begged and pleaded with the Lord to have breakthrough in their kids' lives. I've sat alongside young adults and, and prayed and interceded as they said, I've just come to faith. I want my parents to know what I know. I want them to feel what I felt. I want the encounter with Jesus that I had to be with them too. There is nothing, no emotion, no strength, no desperation hungrier than somebody praying for a family member because blood tells, blood tells. There is something in us that is earnest and desperate for that. And I've also sat and spoken with parents who are not Christian, who are struggling to understand their child that's now following Jesus. They struggle to understand what seems to be a lot of time they give up. They struggle to understand the new ethics and behaviours. Often they're quite pleased by them, but they often don't understand the ethics and behaviours they choose. They definitely struggle to understand the idea that money could be given up as part of it. But most of all, they fear that the church community is replacing their family. More than fearing Jesus, I think often people fear the church. They fear that the church will be something that takes away from their own family, makes them less, and takes their child. And when we partner with God in his mission to restore and renew and redeem all creation in his image, the hardest people to share our faith with are usually our family members, because this is the truth about our family church. Nobody has the capacity to hurt you more than your family. And nobody has the capacity to know you more but understand you less. You ever felt that? Where you go, you know everything about me, yet somehow you still don't get what I'm feeling, who I am, what, what I'm doing in this moment. There's something really deeply frustrating. And your family probably loves you deeply, but sometimes they might just limit your missional capacity for God. I think of the times where my kids come to me and ask me to do something and I say no because I think it's dangerous or messy or frankly just kind of annoying to my preferences in that given moment because I am being driven by my preferences and what I want and what I need and what I desire my family to be like rather than letting them come to me and go, this is something I'm exploring. Would you help me? Would you help me cook? Would you help me work out how to be an adult? Would you help disciple me into being a follower of Jesus? Not so I can be the same as you, but so I can learn how to be a follower of Jesus in the image of God my own way. And so we as parents can limit the missional effectiveness of our children when we limit their risk. And likewise, if you've come to Christ and you've come into some conflict with a family member because you might be the first one to come to Christ in your family and they don't understand you, you've got to help them understand that you've got to be about your father's business. But here's the kicker. I am going somewhere with this, I promise. Here's the kicker. God is not calling you to abandon your family. You might make decisions as a follower of Jesus that baffle your family. Right? I, I remember when I gave up my sales job to become a chaplain, and my dad, who is a Christian, God bless him, but is also a boomer and has some of those generational traits, is like, oh, What's the money gap there again? Oh, okay. Uh, uh, and you can see him 
the, the, the war between I'm in an individualistic culture and my job is to support my child, but I was raised in a generation which says you must look after your family. You could see the tension in him, the poor guy. And he, and he struggled with that. But in, even in these decisions, hear this, God is not calling you to abandon your family. He's calling you to expand your understanding of family. God is not calling you to say, go away, family. He's calling you to say, come in, family. Come in. And here's how I know this. As Jesus hung there on the cross, dying for the sins of the world, his mother was there with him. His mother was there watching this man that she'd never understood, but who was still her little boy, dying on the cross. And in that moment, Jesus looks down and he looks at the apostle John and he says to John, John, you look after my mum. And he looks at his mom and he says, he's going to be like a son in the faith to you. He's going to care for you and love you. We've already established Mary had other sons. She didn't need another son. But for some reason, she needed John. And Jesus saw the need of his mother. And he invited her in. Even in the moment of his greatest agony, he did not forget his mother. This is not just a Jewish thing. This is a Jesus thing. This is an inviting the family of God into what I'm about not pushing them away. It's not an exclusive club to belong to. You just have to have an exclusive belief in Jesus. And so from there, we see something extraordinary happen. Jesus dies and he's resurrected. Actually, that's the most extraordinary bit, but that's not the bit I want to talk about. After this, his family start to believe in him as the son of God. After they've seen him die and be risen again from the grave, apparently that was enough to shake his brothers. And James, in fact, becomes the head of the church in Jerusalem. He becomes the guy people look to because he points to Jesus in Jerusalem more than anybody else does. The brother that grew up with Jesus, that was so close he couldn't see the divinity. He couldn't see Jesus' messianic nature. He couldn't see that he was the son of God. Ends up being the one who champions him in Jerusalem more than anybody else. The transformation can happen, church. It can, but you're going to need four things. Let me get to that in a second. Jez, you can come up. Let's have some spirit keys. Yeah. <laughs> I think we need a little, little music. <laughs> now, why is, this, why is this all happening? Because Jesus was never rejecting his family. He was redefining the family of God. God Jesus was trying to come and point out to all of us that our biological family, while critical, while part of our mission field, while so personal and deep to our understanding of who we are, while maybe the people we love most in the world are part of the family of God. And the family of God is expansive. It is an invitational family. And that is good news for everyone. That's good news for kids like me who weren't born into a traditional family and who are shown that there is a family they've always belonged to. That's good news for people who have known broken families or heartbreak or trauma or abuse in families as God offers a whole, healthy, true family. It's good news for people who have grown up in fantastic families yet fear they'll never be able to live up to it themselves. It is good news for everybody who has ever seen the potential joy family can hold but has also seen it fall short. I don't know if you ever remember that moment when you realise your parents are human beings and not parents that they're fallible, it's actually a pretty jarring moment, isn't it? But God is saying in that moment, there is a perfect father. The perfect father is also the perfect mother. 
God is the perfect parent. And he sent Jesus in part to help us understand that there is a new family being formed and that is good news for everyone. It doesn't matter who it is in your family. God loves them. He calls them daughter. He calls them son. He calls them home. That's the expansive nature of family. God's new family. God's new family is good news for everyone, including your family. Good news for everyone. So if you're going to reach them, you're going to need four things that I want to run through really quick. Proof, endurance, love, and mission. Proof, endurance, love, and mission. Proof, you've got to show them you have changed. When we say evangelism and justice, one of the reasons I think of justice as an act of service is because one of the ways you can show justice within your family is not by yelling at them loudly about a social issue you disagree with them about. It's by just washing some dishes. Just, just like do the lawns for them, do some gardening. Care for them. Serve your family the way they need to be served, the way they want to be served. Show them the proof of your transformation through your character and through your service. And the second one with that is endurance. You don't just get to wash the dishes once. Woo! You get to wash them hundreds of times. You get to show your love through service again and again and again. And by endurance... You may help people see the character of God working through you. Endurance is what it's going to take in your family. You're not going to win them over with one great gospel message. Sorry if that's why you brought your parent today. You might have to go home and do some dishes. (laughs) The third, love. Jesus showed his love for us by going to the cross, but we see his love for Mary on the cross. You're going to have to display your love for your family. Maybe you need to discover their love language and actually care for them the way they want to be cared for. Reach out for them. It's a form of leading up. If you're a child to your parent, you're probably going to have to lead up and and, and treat them as if they're somebody you want to minister to. Bless them. Care for them. Don't assume they're going to do it all for you. Take it from an only child. And the final one is mission. At some point, you have to speak out and live out the gospel. And some of you here are brilliant at serving your family. And you would serve and serve and serve and serve. But if someone asks you what your faith is about, you'll curl up into a small ball and roll away. And some of you are brilliant at communicating the gospel. And then as soon as you've given that, you'd walk out the door and shut the door and go, cool, I'm going out to hang out with some friends and leave your family by yourself. You've got to hold justice and evangelism intention. That's mission. And that's mission to your family. And if you want your family to wake up to the good news of Jesus, as I know so many of you do, you're going to have to do both those things. At some point, you're going to have to share what your faith means to you and how it's changed you. And you're going to have to show them. That is the missional aspect. Proof, endurance, mission, and love. Now, the family friend I spoke about earlier who kept calling me sticky as a kid, and he wasn't wrong. He became one of the greatest champions for me in ministry I ever had. At some point, something shifted and he saw something in me that I couldn't see in myself and he kept calling it out again and again and again. And the same voice that got painful and and downright angering when he was talking about what I used to be became inspiring and encouraging as he pointed forward to what I could become. That is who we can be when we allow ourselves to see how people are transforming. That's how people, that's how we can be when we can see what the gospel is doing in people's lives. And so if you're here 
and you have a family member that you want to speak to about the gospel, don't just speak to them about it. Point forward to who they could become. Call out the best in them. Show them who they are meant to be in the image of God because God has a plan and purpose for them. That's the power of proof, endurance, mission and love. Thanks so much for listening. I pray that you were able to hear from God in a fresh way today. We would love to hear from our listeners. To connect with us or to financially support the work of Encounter, please jump on our website, encounteradelaide.com.au. And if you enjoyed this podcast, don't forget to jump onto iTunes, Spotify, or your podcast provider and give us a rating and review. Or share this message on your social media accounts and tag us at Encounter Adelaide. God bless. Have an amazing week.